It's our official Drama Shop podcast, and it features local actors, directors, theater enthusiasts talking about uh, all parts of the theater in process. It is produced by me, Nicole Lossi, and is sponsored by Gannon University Schuster Theater. That's right. Our topic this time is directing for theater, and we have assembled an outstanding panel of three directors and producers from three very different venues. Our goal is to talk about different approaches to directing, the role of the director, and, well, anything else that comes up once this particular group gets going. So that said, Nicole, let's meet our panel. Yes. So first up, we have Kate Newbert-Lechner. She is the executive director of the Erie Playhouse. Hello, Kate. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm I'm good. You know, just making it work here at home like everybody else is. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's true. New, new for everybody. How are you, the kids? They're, they're, they're getting along. I mean, we're doing the whole, you know, homeschooling as well as, you know, trying to work at home. And it's a, it's a process for all of us. <laughs> Good luck to you. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. We have Parker. So I'm in here with the door closed. So oh, yeah. that's who won't have any surprise guests today. So uh, also joining us is uh, Dr. Brett Johnson, artistic director for Mercyhurst Institute for Arts and Culture, director of the Mercyhurst Theater Program. Welcome, Brett. Hi. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm doing well. <laughs> and I'm really glad to be doing this. Thank you again. Of course. Thank, Thank you, you for, for joining, joining the conversation. Absolutely. And you know, I think I've started to notice a pattern in this and all of our Zoom meetings too. There's kind of a prerequisite answer for how are you? It's like, we're all right. You know, You're we're right. doing okay. <laughs> well, I was actually listening to a podcast the other day, an interview with Linda Lavin, and I thought she had a great response. She said, I'm good today. Because it is. It's day by day, right? Absolutely. I like that. Yeah. And that's all we can ask for really right, right. now is, you know what, right at this moment, I'm doing good. So that's right. That's good. And uh, finally, Reverend Sean Clerkin, co-director of the School of Communication and the Arts at Gannon University and Drama Shop's Director Emeritus. Hello, Sean. How are you? Hi. I'm awful. I'm just <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Clearly you weren't listening. <laughs> I don't even know no, why I, was, I even asked. I, okay, here's here's what I'm thinking. Do you remember the game show Tattletales in which like the couples and they would line up with their faces in little boxes? I feel like this is an episode of Tattletales in some weird <laughs> way. That's, that's what I'm thinking right now. I, I feel like I'm on a mid-80s sit, uh, game show on CBS. That's what I'm I like that right and uh, Hollywood yeah. Squares. Well, we, yeah, we could have gone with a bigger panel and gone full on Brady Bunch, but we decided to, to stick with the five. <laughs> Anyway, thank you all for being here. Um, we're really grateful that you're, you're with us during these unusual circumstances. So I um, already asked how everyone's doing. Glad to hear that other than Sean, everyone's doing really well. <laughs> well, what else would we expect though, really? <laughs> that's right, that's right. Um, before we jump in, I do have a bit of trivia for everybody. Um, and so I'm gonna put Nicole on the spot here. I thought this would be a fun way to get us started. So. I have a little bit of trivia on each of our panelists. Okay. Um, they all involve celebrities. So I'm going to read these three statements that are all true. And then, Nicole, I'm going to ask you to guess which one of our panelists each statement applies to. So okay. I'll read all three first. Okay. Then, oh, okay. So it's like can... multiple choice for me. Okay. Well, you've got to assign these three to, the, to our three guests. Okay? okay. So one of our panelists sampled chocolates with Jane Lynch. Ooh. One, of, one of our panelists, don't do anything to give it away, panelists. That's so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> oh. One of our panelists 
had drinks with Dame Judi Dench. And one of our panelists actually worked for Tony Bennett. Okay, Nicole. Your turn. (laughs) Now, full disclosure, I know one of these for sure because I am writing an article that she is included in for (laughs) Gannon Magazine. Ah, I should have checked. Yes, and I know that uh, Miss Kate Newbert Lechner worked for Tony Bennett. That is correct. Yeah. All right, so now where am I at? One point. One point, okay. So now I have drinks with Judy Dench and chocolate with somebody else? With Jane Lynch. With Jane. Oh, well, they're both delightful. So I'm going (laughs) to say Sean with Judy Dench and Brett with Jane Lynch. Wow. Without any clues or anything. That was You know what? Just I had a gut feeling. It felt good. Brett, you sent me two others, but they they had to do with folks that you've actually had at MyAC recently, right? Mm -hmm. So I didn't want I thought those would be too easy, but do you want (laughs) to share those as well? Oh, sure. Well, you asked for, for trivia, and I saw that the other two were celebrity-related, so I was like, oh, okay, well, let's keep the theme going. Just odd, odd memorable encounters with a lot of the people that we've brought in, including, um, well, first of all, spending two and a half hours in the Starbucks on Upper Peach with Shirley MacLaine, who walked there from the hotel because she, oh you know, her very specific caramel macchiato. Um, <laughs> we, we were going to go pick her up and take her back to the hotel, and I'm thinking... Okay, well, um, we're gonna pick her up and take her to the hotel. But two uh, two and a half hours later, her tour manager is saying, "Okay, we got to go get ready for the event tonight." Yeah. And uh, then afterwards, uh, we ended up in her hotel suite watching CNN and eating the cheese and cracker tray that she hadn't eaten in the dressing room. And <laughs> like two hours or so, I'm like, "It's one of those. This, is this my life moment?" <laughs> That's great. And, and you know, just odd encounters with. Uh, not odd, memorable, unique encounters <laughs> with, with uh, Patty Lapone and, and Norm Lewis and all these fantastic people that we've brought in. They've well, also- and, and we're also grateful that you're bringing artists like yeah. that to Erie. I mean, that's, that's huge for our region to have artists of that caliber. So um, I know uh, you've had to, unfortunately, like all of us, make some cancellations. Um, uh, Brian Mitchell Stokes, I think, is, is coming yeah, back in, hopefully like, in September. Like, like everyone else, we'll be back. Uh, yeah. Because I think once we get out on the other side of this, people are going to be eager. There's something in our DNA, that, that communal impulse. We want to get together and we want to have that experience, right? So whenever that's safe to do so, I have no doubt that we will all be back and enjoying those experiences. And I think Mayak and the Erie Playhouse and Gannon and Mercyhurst and all these other uh, local producing organizations have a role to play in that recovery. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And Sean, Judy Dench, give us the story. Yeah, I was uh, actually studying in London with a program that was uh, sponsored by Anthony Hopkins, who I actually had drinks with as well. Uh, studied with Judy Dench, studied with Anna, uh, Jana McTeer, and also had a master class with that whore, Ian McKellen. Uh, so, <laughs> um, just, uh, yeah. But I, I'm, I'm not really one to drink, so I, uh, it just things happen on occasion. Mm. For those not watching on Facebook but listening later, oh, Sean, right. what is that you're sipping? Oh, it's a little Pinot Grigio. Okay, all right. Yeah, all right. it is the season. Yeah, nothing too sweet. And and Kate, oh Tony Bennett? Yeah. When How I does that in, happen? <laughs> so when I lived in New York City, um, I, you know, was there performing and stuff. And, uh, you know, as, as we all do, we had our temp jobs. And I ended up getting a temp job um, working in um, 
in Tony's office while he was doing his first duets album. Um, so I was there to help, you know, while all that was going on. And it was really cool because it was when he was doing the NBC special with Rob Marshall as well. So I got to work with all of Rob's people and, um, and then ended up, um, Tony's son was his manager. His assistant went on um, vacation and Tony and Danny said, you know, that that's fine as long as Kate can cover. And well, when his assistant came back, his assistant didn't have a job to come back to. <laughs> um, I love that. Oh, that's great. So, <laughs> um, so I guess I did something right. Um, but or the um, assistant did something really wrong. Well, I think I think I think it was a little combination of both. Okay. But it was it was a really really cool time. Like the last thing that I got to do um, before I left New York and moved to Pittsburgh was um, we did a huge gala for um, Tony's. Um, a nonprofit organization exploring the arts and he did a concert at the radio city music hall and then there was a dinner in rockefeller center like where the ice skating rink is afterwards and um i was regis philbin's like go-to gal to get him like up on the stage and into a seat so i got to but the coolest experience I ever had was standing off stage at radio city music hall between john legend katie lang and um um uh, uh you know you've got a friend um why can't oh, I think? King? King? No, no. Oh, um, uh, James Taylor. James Taylor. Oh, Tim and James Taylor. Taylor, watching Tony Bennett sing "I Left My Heart in San Francisco" unmiked <laughs> to show off how Radio City Music Hall acoustics were. That wow. was that was that was cool. Wow. Yeah, it was it was it was really a great experience. I learned a, I learned a lot. <laughs> I well, I think we assembled the right panel. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I didn't realize how much of just a, a name dropping plethora. Yeah, you all dropped some I'm names not... in there if you want to take a minute in to gather In the best them. way. No, in the best Sorry. way. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Thank that's you for so sharing cool. those stories. I didn't, know that Jan- I, I didn't know that Janet McTeer, uh, that, that you worked with her as well. I just, yeah. three yeah. of them. Zark, I that's incredible. Her. She's, I, I, I made her cry. It was... Uh, I was doing the um, the Anthony monologue from Julius Caesar, and I had, I performed it. Uh, she was with a, she taught us for two weeks while I was there, and um, in daily. And she was she looked at me. She said, "Well, that was lovely, but don't you have any bowls?" And I said, <laughs> well, "Well, yes." She she worked over the monologue again and again and again. And after about twenty minutes, she said, "Now do it all from the top." And so I did it, and I looked over, and she had just one little tear coming down her face, and she went, "All right, who's next?" <laughs> like, she completely that that was it but i went i i had that that moment of oh my god i just made janet mcteer cry yeah mm-hmm. yeah i cool mean who moment. among us hasn't made a director cry before right oh my god <laughs> some, some for more I, some i'm for more i know I'm still crying from some I of your have. performances yeah <laughs> uh, so those are all experiences obviously that you kind of worked into meeting some of these people you know that it took at least somewhere time to get into those roles, right? So I, yeah. I want to start rewinding a little bit before we go any further um, and talk to each of you about when you each fell in love with theater. This is a two-parter. When did you each fall in love with theater and when did you decide then to make it a career? So Brett, can I start with you? Sure. Um, growing up, I did uh, church pageants and school musicals and community theater productions. So theater was always a part of my life. Um, and we saw touring productions that came to the Community Arts Center in Williamsport. Um, and actually, interestingly enough, the thing that expanded my horizons and introduced me to uh, another 
um, part, well, really New York theater was the Rosie O'Donnell show. Her talk show came on when I was in eighth grade and I would watch it every day. And I remember seeing B.B. North and the cast of Chicago performing on the show. And I asked my mom if I could have uh, tickets to the show for my 16th birthday. And she said, yes. So we went and sat in the front row of the mezzanine of the Schubert Theater. And I had never experienced anything like it. And I was hooked. And shortly thereafter, we saw um, Ragtime with the original company, uh, what was then called the Ford Center for the Performing Arts. And I got up there as, as often as possible. We were about two and a half hours away. Um, and so just fell in love with it. Um, but like I said, theater has always been a part of my life, but it wasn't until I went to Susquehanna University. Um, I, I enrolled as a communications student because that seemed practical. I knew I wanted to do something in entertainment, but I knew I needed to develop skills so that I could get a job. Um, and my freshman year, I did a couple shows and then I met during my sophomore year, Doug Powers, who was my mentor, uh, professor, and friend. And we did a production of Lillian Hellman's The Little Foxes. And I took a couple of his classes and he kind of opened my eyes to the opportunities that you don't have to go to New York and you know be a Broadway star, that you could make a living in the theater in a variety of ways. And uh, the path that I eventually chose was the MA-PhD route um, because I, I thought that it synthesized so much of what I love and what I wanted to do that I could uh, teach acting and I could direct shows and I could share my passion with uh, theater with others um, and still act and still direct and still be a practitioner. I think that's important. Um, to practice what I preach and I still try to get on stage every so often and um, directing quite a bit these days. Um, but it's just been like I went from Susquehanna to the University of Missouri where I got my MA and PhD and then straight to Mercyhurst. So it's been kind of a lifetime of academia for me, but I love it. I, I can't imagine myself doing anything else. That's awesome. That's awesome. Sean? Yeah, I had a, I, I, I was um, uh, not really a theater person until uh, my ninth grade in high school, and my choral director forced me to be in the production of uh, Camelot with uh, <laughs> the Footlighters of Elk County Incorporated back in Elk County, St. Mary's Ridgeway area. And I uh, played Harold the Herald. I came out and blew my trumpet and introduced King Arthur and really enjoyed it. And then uh, the following year, they only did a couple of musicals each year. And the following year, I auditioned and was in Oklahoma. Uh, did a couple things at my high school, started the high school drama club back in Johnsonburg uh, High School, actually, and, uh, and then came to Gannon as a student in the fall of 81, uh, and uh, I was a pre-med major. I, I thought, you know, like, like, like Brett, I was like, I got to do something practical, and uh, being the first kid in my, col er, in my, high or my household to go to college, I knew I had to be a priest or, or a doctor or a lawyer, and uh, the priest thing was kind of out of the, out of the way, ironically, at that time. Uh, and then, uh, so then I kind of got involved with uh, pre-med and everything, and then auditioned for Jesus Christ Superstar in the spring of 82. And uh, one of my professors pulled me aside and he said, it, my chemistry professor, George Hesch, Dr. George Hesch, said, you're not happy. And I said, well, what do you mean? I'm, I have an A in the class. He said, no, 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 I'm not talking about grades. I'm talking about happy. He said, who are you? What are you? What are you built for? What should you be doing? And I, I said, I, I just love storytelling. I love being on stage. I love singing. I love characters. I love, I love the engagement and uh, dynamics of a stage to audience. And I, I think that's what I want to do. And so then I changed my major to be a theater communications major at Gannon and uh, survived a couple of years there. 
I was off to become a directing major, actually, uh, at Virginia Commonwealth University. I went with the MFA uh, certificate program track myself. I, I, uh, I, I like the academic side of it. Ironically, I'm just now starting a PhD program this fall. So, so I'm, I'm kind of chasing you, Brett, on that one. But, uh, but I, I looked more toward, the, uh, toward those applications, the, the MFA, which we ironic or jokingly called the MoFo Artiste. Yeah, uh, degree, which is what we were. And so, uh, so, but that was when I first walked into a classroom because we were allowed to teach as uh, graduate assistants. We were teaching speech classes um, and, and speech is cheap and they gave it to us. Uh, and so I walked into the classroom and I went, oh, that's who I am. And it's a performance of a different, a, di a different way. But, but my enjoyment as a teacher and my enjoyment as a director is the same thing. I love performing. I really do. Uh, I don't get much opportunity anymore. But when I do, I really enjoy it. But I get so much more pleasure watching a cast bring a show to opening night. Or uh, I get so much more excitement uh, listening to students, you seeing the light bulbs go on over their heads, whether it be in a, a directing class or a contemporary issues class or whatever it is that I'm teaching. So, so that's kind of been my journey here. And I just celebrated my 30th year at Gannon. Wow. Uh, Mar March 1st was, uh, was the end of my 30th year of teaching here at the institution. So. Wow. Congratulations. Uh, well, yeah, I, I don't know. One of my colleagues said, that's so wonderful. And I said, what, that I have no ambition? <laughs> well, I think it's worth uh, that I'm noting. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> I think it's worth noting that three of your former students are among this panel right now. So. Yeah, and, and, and nothing gives me you. more pleasure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nothing gives, honestly, nothing gives me more pleasure than to, to see the great work that everybody's doing. So that's nice. That's great. Well, thank you for sharing that. Kate. Um, well, I think so. I didn't ever really have that like mysterious like aha moment like oh my gosh theater is my thing because um, I, I kind of was born into it, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, um, my, my, my parents met doing, you know, doing the mill players which was a group that used to do shows out in Mill Creek here. Um, and they did shows at the Playhouse together. Um, my grandmother was uh, one of the original Rockettes um, in New York City, like when they were still at the Roxy Theater, which is why they were called the Rockettes. My grandmother was one and she was in Broadway shows and, you know, like did things with, she always said she did stuff with Billy Rose. She didn't do stuff with Zigfield because she approved of Billy Rose more. She just like, she liked Billy Rose. So she did like Billy Rose's Crazy Quilt and things like that. Um, and um, so, I mean, I kind of, kind of came by it, honestly, I guess. Um, and I can't ever really think of a moment in my life that, um, that theater was not a part of it. Um, you know, I just love um, making art, creating art, um, telling stories. And I, I, there's just never been a question for me for what I was gonna do in my life. I remember when I was in high school, I was having a conversation with someone um, and they said to me, um, when I was you know, thinking about what I was gonna do and where I was gonna go to school, they said, you know what? If you can imagine yourself doing anything other than theater, you should, because, <laughs> because mm. this is, Know, do it as a hobby do it as but don't you know don't go to, after it as a career track but there was never any question for me that I was going to go into theater um, so you know I originally started when I was in high school I went to um, the Interlochen um, school Inter I went well I, I, for over the summers I went to Interlochen Arts Camp um, every summer and I would say that would probably be the beginning of like my formal training mm -hmm. um, and that was a really great experience. And then I um, spent a couple years at the Cincinnati Conservatory of Music for musical theater, um, which that's a whole story there. Um, and uh, left there, um, ended up moving to New York, but I happened to move to New York three days before September 11th, the first time I moved mm -hmm. there. So I was there um, when the towers fell, um, which was not really great timing, 
Um, so I was ended up staying there for about six months trying to pursue a career in performance. But as we all know, that just wasn't happening at that time. Um, so one day in, I believe it was like November, I called my good friend, Sean Clerken and said, I don't know what to do. I am here. I can't get a job doing anything other than bartending. There's nothing going on. I was kind of adrift. And Sean said, like, can you give me, Thank you. I, in my memory, Sean, you said like, can you give, give me like 24 hours or give me a couple days? And then he got back in touch with me and said, do you want to come to Gannon? And I said, yes, <laughs> yes, I do. So I ended up moving back to Erie, finishing my degree at Gannon and then making my way back out into the world where I feel like I've kind of had this like path, uh, this history of like, of, you know, patchwork quilting sort of, um, my education and my experience together, which I think is super cool because I have so many different, have had so many different mentors and people that I've learned from throughout, throughout my time being in New York and being in Pittsburgh and being in Erie and being um, in Syracuse and being here and there and everywhere. And it's just been, um, it's been great, but throughout all of it, I mean, theater has always been a part of, of my life. And I finally kind of transitioned into that place where I realized that, you know, I didn't have to be a performer um, and actually, I mean, I love performing, as Sean was saying, I still love to do that. Um, I still try to get on stage, but, um, but I love the power of what art can do for a community. And I love the power of what, how we can change minds, how we can help people grow as human beings, how we can, like, I, I love that. So in the position that I'm in now, it's so great because I get the opportunity to not only direct, but to also help, um, you know, bring bring theater as a tool for community building, which mm -hmm. I think is, is, is just so important and great. So, yeah. yeah. So that's my story. That's awesome. I mean, that, that's mm -hmm. the kind of stuff too, that's powerful anytime. But I mean, I think even particularly right now, I mean, I'm thinking of, you know, all of the Facebook lives that, you know, you've done with the playhouse just recently that have been the story time and this and that and the art mm -hmm. meaning something for community. And that that's yeah. such a resonating thing right now. Uh, Zach. Why don't yeah. you uh, jump into that? Yeah, sure. So um, I guess for me, I mean, I always liked singing when I was little and uh, the opportunity to sing outside of school was to audition for community theater. So when I was 12, I auditioned for uh, The King and I at the Greensburg Civic Theater and performed at the Palace Theater. And, uh, and that was my intro to it. Um, and I think the first moment I really realized like, oh, I love this so much was um, when I went to see the high school in my hometown, um, I must have been in probably elementary school at the time, but the high school did Peter Pan and they flew. And I was just amazed. And there was a kid about my age who was playing one of the brothers. And I was just sitting there like seething with jealousy that this kid was getting to fly. And like, I knew it wasn't real, but at the same time it was. And I just had such like envy of like, man, I want to be up there. I want to do that. And then when my oldest brother was in high school, he was in a production of The Wizard of Oz at high school. And um, I went to an all day Saturday rehearsal. I don't know if anybody knew I was there. I just kind of sat in the back and watched them tech the show and everything. And wow. just that was the moment where I kind of saw behind the scenes. And I was like, yeah, that that's what I want to do. I don't know what I want to do, but something that's a part of that. So um you know, kind of like others have shared here, I, I went to Gannon and majored in theater and communication arts, thinking theater is something I can't quit, but com arts might be the pathway into a career that theater may not be. 
I knew I couldn't do the starving artist thing. That just wasn't, it's not in my DNA. It's not who I am. I applaud those who can do it, but it's, it's so not me. Um, and then once I graduated, I ended up in the nonprofit uh, arts admin side of things before eventually ending up in higher ed um, in the administrative side, but have had that passion for theater and just couldn't quite let go of it. So that's when hmm. the group of us who formed Drama Shop got together and said, man, there's so much great theater in Erie. Here's this little niche that's out there that maybe we can fill. Let's find a tiny theater because we're not going to sell many tickets and, and let's kind of do it. So um, around that same time, I started my master's in public administration, which was helpful because I'm studying, you know, strategic planning and writing a mission and vision statement and literally writing Drama Shop's mission and vision statement um, for a class. So, um, so that's where we are now. That's how I ended up here. And um, yeah, that's, that's my story. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so um, I, I think I have the next question, right? Sure. Actually, can yeah. I jump in real quick? Please. I and we'll edit out quick... my garbage. <laughs> I just want a super quick shout out. We have uh, uh, quite a few people joining us on Facebook Live. So I wanted to just shout out a couple. Uh, thank you to Kate Theme, Jax Vadden, he's watching. Uh, Michael Hipwell, uh, I wanted to point out, is uh, very oh busy coming up with uh, new names for Kate, uh, for Kate Nuberlechner. Of course he is. Of <laughs> I don't know if this is. is a common thing that you all have, but... I would advise all of us not to look at the comments until afterward. <laughs> I'm just checking in with everybody. Yeah, you can. Thank you yeah. for everybody who's watching live. We really appreciate it too. So this will be a little bit more edited when we put it together for the podcast, but it's a fun experience to do it all together and watch live. So go ahead, Zach. Absolutely. Yeah, so some of you already touched on this, but obviously we're talking about directing today. So I will say personally, I definitely kind of identify, I think, as a director first and foremost. Um, I'm curious where you guys land on that. Do you fall into a particular category? Does it matter? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I was trained as a director. I, I don't think of myself as a director. I'd like to think of myself as a facilitator. Even my, st even my style of leadership, even at the church or wherever I happen to be, I feel much more of a collaborator. I feel like I'm the person who helps to facilitate the work of other creative artists. Um, it, it, in a university, it's really nice to do that because the students are always somewhere in that process in their own continuum of growth. And so I, I always hope at least I, I don't want to break them ever, but I, hope, <laughs> I, I, so, but I do hope that I move them forward a little bit from where they are or inspire them to find new ways in and out of it. Um, but I guess, I guess as a director, that's my, my approach would be very laissez-faire, hands-off, side coach, um, do my best to provide a safe space for them to work in. But, but um, yeah, that, that's, yeah, I, but I would, I guess I would identify as a director. I, I would say, I guess if, 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 if I had to, you know, choose a, a term that I would want to like, I, I guess like uh, rather than director, I would want to say like a creator. Um, you know, I mean, I like, cause I like what Sean says about facilitating, which is something that I like too. I, I love to collaborate. I know when I work with my casts, um, you know, I, I tell people, I want your input. I'm, I'm, I might respectfully disagree with your input, <laughs> but I, but I always want to hear it. And I like to, I just like, I like to create stuff. I like to, to find new things and make new things happen. And, you know, cause I mean, I, I can, you know, I direct and I also choreograph and I, you know, also perform and stuff. So I, I don't want to like box myself in and be like, yes, I am a director. That is just what I do. Um, because then I think too, when we're in, in, in a community setting, I think that the responsibility of directors is also to be a teacher. 
um, I think that we're not, you know, we're there to help. So when you're dealing with people with so many varied levels of, um, of experience, you know, you're there to help teach and you're there to help people grow and you're there to help people find themselves and you're there to help people get confidence. And it, it's so much more than just cross stage left, pick up your glass of tea. You know, there's so much more to it. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I think I, I, I like the term creator. Maybe that sounds pretentious. I don't no, know. No, I like that. You know, I like that a lot. But I also like pretension. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Brett, anything you want to add to that one too? Um, you know, I like, I like what both of you said. Um, I, I'm also reluctant to embrace any particular label or title. I, I, but I mean, if I, if I had to, I like uh, my title with the Institute is artistic director. And I, I like that because uh, I'm, I'm able to, um, like you were saying, Zach, create a mission and a vision and choose the rep and facilitate the educational programming. And it's more like Kate was saying, more than just blocking, more than just all of the nuts and bolts of getting a show on its feet. And I, it's not something that I ever uh, planned on doing, honestly, but I love it. Um, and, and I hope to be able to continue doing it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's. Do you think then, and you've kind of touched on this too, each one of you in a different way, that it's more beneficial for directors to have experience in lots of different aspects of theater, or is it better to like study and specifically say like if you're going to be a director, like that particular branch of it? How do you, how do you land on that kind of? No, I, I mean, I feel very strongly that a director should have experience in in various aspects of theatrical production and management. Mm -hmm. um, acting, stage managing, uh, building the set, painting the set, hanging and focusing the lights, doing a sound design, every, costumes, everything, because that's more that you're bringing to the table. Mm -hmm. um, you are in that leadership position. Yeah, I like to tell my cast sometimes, I'll say like, I won't ask you to do something that I won't do myself. And I think that the sure. same, you know, should be true for, you know, every kind of production aspect. If I, you know, I can't speak to you knowledgeably about something and really give my opinion unless I've actually been in the trenches and tried it out myself. Mm -hmm. And also, and I think it, it brings you a respect for the people who are doing that, too. Yes. And you lead by example, right? right. That, mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to pick up a broom and sweep the stage. I'm going mm -hmm. to do all of this as well. And I think yeah. that that builds trust, it builds respect, and it uh, underscores that at least what we aim for, and I think you all do too, is that ensemble approach to uh, creating theater. Mm -hmm. I, like, I like on Mondays before opening, walking into the scene shop or the costume shop and saying, okay, what, what needs to be sewn? What needs to be painted? Part of that, uh, and this, the cast will look and say, and say, oh, well, that's so nice of you to come. And it's, part of it is like, yeah, yeah, that's true too. But it's also that feeling of, as a director, as you approach opening night, there seems to be less and less under your control as everything else <laughs> seems to be everybody else's work and your, your, your list of notes keeps getting shorter and shorter. And you want to mm -hmm. do something. You just want to mm -hmm. do something, you know? And I think that that's also, it, it, is a, it, it does have that secondary benefit of everybody seeing how collaborative the, the, the theater world is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you were going to look at a particular instance of a show, if we're going to start, uh, I want to talk about what is your typical approach to directing, say, if you're going to start from start to finish, talk us through uh, what does your process look like? So we can start in order of who do we start with introduction? So Kate, Brett, Sean, then Zach, if you want to add anything on to that too. 
Um, well, I think for me, it depends on, it does depend on the show and what I'm, what it is. I mean, um, you know, I'm going to, I approached, obviously approached just looking at the things I was directing this year. Like I approached the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime in a really different way than you would approach something rotten because they're sure. very <laughs> different shows. Um, I mean, but I always start, I mean, I, I, before I direct something, um, or before I sign on to direct something, I, I always want to read it and see if I can envision it while I'm reading it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think Brett and Sean and Zach, I mean, you guys know, you know, sometimes when you read a script and it just starts, you can see it playing out Mm -hmm. and you're like, okay, I got to do that. I want to do that. So that's, I guess what I first do is I read through everything um, and see what, try to identify what I see in my head when I'm, when I'm reading it. Um, and, you know, obviously with everything, you do your research, you get, you know, you do your, get all of that together. Um, but, you know, I think my process is really different depending on what show I'm working on. Like, you know, when we were working on Spring Awakening, I did a lot of um, viewpoints work with the cast. So we started out, you know, doing just a whole bunch of viewpoint sessions because I thought that it was really important for that. But then, you know, but then for a show like Something Rotten, you you do, you do your read through and you identify like, oh my gosh, and you're just trying and you're pulling apart where the inside jokes are and making sure that we're, so it, it's a really different, I guess it's a different process, but it's not necessarily different because it's really just getting down in there and like pulling stuff apart and finding, finding the truth and then finding the, finding the truth or finding the joke or finding the, the, the history or finding the, you know, I just, I just like to pull stuff apart and, then put it back together on the other side. Yeah. I like that. How about you, Brett? Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, it differs depending on the project, but, you know, some of the things that I do include, you know, after reading the script, um, things like structural and beat analyses, thematic statements, um, lots of research. And I kind of like to go down to the ra- down the rabbit hole. Like two springs ago, I directed uh, Doña Rosie to the Spinster by Federico Garcia Lorca. So I reread all of his other plays and read a biography and watched a documentary and just kind of, you know, absorbed as much as possible to try to wrap my head around the world of this play. Yeah. Um, but I almost, all, not almost, always um, come up with a central production metaphor. Some people like to call it a concept uh, which is a way of unifying the production. It creates a uh, language uh, to talk about the show with the designers and with the cast to make sure that it's unified and cohesive and kind of serves as a springboard for the imagination and, and sparks creativity. Um, and that's, that's the way that I was trained. It's actually uh, what I teach in script analysis. It's what we were talking about earlier today uh, before I, I hopped on this call. So, but it, it does, it differs from show to show and from, from cast to cast, but that's what um, my prep usually involves. That's great, Sean. I like that, yeah. I, 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 I used to have a list of plays I wanted to direct and plays and musicals, and now I've got a list of plays and musicals I will never have time to direct because my time on this planet is a little, little less than yours, <laughs> you guys. But I will say the thing that I always start with is, because we, we, we read so much or we see so much or we're exposed to so much, and I'm always looking for something that is relevant. I'm always trying to find the thing that has something to speak to uh, our student community first and foremost, because they're the ones paying for it. You know, I mean, I have to say, you know, it's their tuition dollars that allow me to have a theater to work in. So I start there and then I always think then, what else do other communities, like the Erie community, what do they need to see? What do they need to, to know? What, what, what are the hidden aspects of society or yeah. community?
community that we don't know about. And so, so I'm always trying to find something that is relevant and something that speaks to uh, the potential audience. I guess, I guess that's really where I start. And the same thing, I mean, just, you just, you got to know the play. And if that requires a Hodge analysis, a deep Hodge analysis, Francis Hodge uh, play directing, or whether it means that I need to spend a lot of time, I love Lorca, I'm so glad you do Lorca. Um, so it's, it's whatever it is that we're, whatever you need to do, you have to have the answers before that first rehearsal, before that first read. Actually, you need to have them before the casting begins, before the auditions. You have to have a good, strong understanding of it. So a lot of my work seems to happen before then. And then it becomes a matter of, okay, now you show me something about this play that I didn't know about, costume designer, yeah. lead actor, chorus member, uh, stage manager. Keep keep helping me find my way through it. But that it, I usually start with that idea of, what, what does this play have to say to an audience? And what does an audience need to hear right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with everything that you guys have said, that so much of it starts with that reading and knowing the material backwards and forwards, inside and out, so that when auditions roll around, you know what it is you're looking for, you know what it is you're trying to say with that production. Um, I would say the two other things for me that really start, um, start the process off, um, I, I've mentioned this before, I really think of myself as a director-designer, uh, part of that is out of necessity in my capacity at Drama Shop that I'm often the one designing the set. Um, but it's also something I love to do. And for me, that's often such a great jumping off point for directing because that layout of the set really determines then how your actors can move and play in the space mm-hmm. and how you can help use that physical space to tell the story. So for me, the design is always a big part of it. Um, it's good. I mean, yeah, the, the, the ground yeah. plan that comes to mind, the shape of the play, I think that's the, that, like Kate was saying earlier too, it, it, it really does, I mean, if I can visualize it, if I can imagine what it'll look like, then that's also something that grabs a hold of me. If I'm 15 pages into it and it's not, it's not speaking to me, I'll put it down. I'm not going to waste any more time with it. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of times that's how a show really ends up, you know, making it to the top of my list is that when I read it, I had such a clear picture, yeah. not necessarily of how I would direct it because I'm not the only one directing at drama shop, but just does it come together in a way or does it jump off the page in a way that you go, yeah, I can, I can see this happening. And then I would say the other big thing for me that I like to do at the beginning is assemble that company, not the actors, but the, the creative team, the production team that I'm going to work yeah. with. Um, and I'm so glad that nine years into drama shop we're at a point where we have a deeper bench than we did in those first couple seasons and there are people that i can find to asm and assistant direct and stage manage and design lighting and um i loved that you know this this season i had the opportunity to act in nevermore and that took me i mean that (laughs) kind of overwhelmed me uh, maybe a little more than i expected but that sort of forced me to have to go okay you know what, the lighting is out of my hands. The stage management, the props, everything. Sean's directing it, it's, it's in his hands and we've got a great production team. And I didn't see what the lighting of that show looked like until I was able to watch the archival uh, recording and I was like, wow, this is beautiful. Brian Bowersox, I have to give a shout out. Um, I gave mm-hmm. him you know, little to no instruction as producer other than here's how the board works, here's the lights, figure it out. <laughs> And, uh, and he just went with it. So I think so much of it is, is establishing that, that team that's gonna help you get where you wanna go as a director. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that that brings up a nice, I mean, delegation itself is a skill. I mean, talking about uh, learning different aspects of theater that it's important to follow, those are all skills. What is a skill that you would think as a director that someone would have to have 
to be a good director. One, patience. If, if one skill, can, patience. <laughs> <laughs> that took no time. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just start off with that one. Patience. Yep. Yeah. Well, why is that? Um, well, well, <laughs> you're, wor- I mean, you're, you're, cause you're working with such a huge group of people. I mean, mm-hmm. especially if you're working on like a musical or something, people with so many different ki- levels of experience, you're working with a production team, you're working with, I mean, you flipping out on a group of people is probably not the best way to achieve results. So even though internally, sometimes you may feel like <laughs> you want to having the patience to not, I think is super important. Just being and- able to be patient and have a level head and, is, is, not is, to mention we're doing we're doing civic or educational theater here the right those of us on this panel so you know mm-hmm. the, the folks that we're working with are volunteers or mm-hmm. our students and so there's that extra level of of patience that we need to afford them that i know is challenging at times for me and i'm sure is for all of us yeah yeah, yeah all right we got patience brett sean i was gonna say pro Project management. I mean, we have an opening night. It's coming. You've got to get everything there. It, it, it has to be ready for an audience on opening night, unless you have preview performances or something like that. Um, so, so you really have to be a project manager. You have to remember all of the aspects. You have, you, you have to remember what the costumes are doing. What is, the, what is the lighting designer doing? Is the, is the customer going to put a green costume on the stage, which of course makes lighting designers, you know, their eyes roll back in their heads. Um, you know, so all of those things, unless you're doing Wizard of Oz, right? So, so all of those things, you, you, have, you have that set target and you've got to get there. I have to, that's one of my challenges because I'm an ideation person. And even on the final dress rehearsal, I'll sit there and go, hmm, what would happen if, and they'll say, shut up. <laughs> And I, and I, I, I like to mess with things and I, I have to, that's my, that's my challenge, but I think it's also an absolute essential is that you have, you have to be able to get everyone, the, the cast, the crew, the designers, the promotions, the front of house, the box office, you've got to get everybody to opening night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree with all of that. I would say um, you also have to be a visionary. You have to have mm-hmm. a plan. Uh, and, and you have to be able to lead your design team and the cast, the entire company, uh, toward that goal, whatever that may be. Um, and I, I, that's a, an essential skill for any director. Yeah, being yeah. able to communicate is really important because, yes. you know, or you, you know, finding that when you're working with an actor, you're working with an, and, and you know where you need to go mm-hmm. and you're saying things one way and you're like, but it's not working right. and then being right. able to, to, to flip that and find a different way of communicating is, is, is so important too. Yeah. Well, I, I think we would be remiss in not mentioning you have to have a collaborative spirit. You have to be mm-hmm. willing to work with other people and yeah. the idea wins. I want to work with, like you were all were saying, I want to work with designers who are going to push me and challenge me and make my ideas better. Yeah. Um, not people who are just going to say, okay, let's do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. And I would, I would add to that, you know, you want to have trust in those people. And I guess the kind of another way of saying that is the ability to let go. Um, mm-hmm. Sean, you mentioned on Monday of Tech Week, you're in the, in the costume shop saying, what can I do? Because there's really nothing that you can do at that point. So I think especially as, as a beginner director, that was the hardest part of it for me um, was, was getting to that point where you say, okay, I put in all the work I could. I gave as much guidance and direction as I could. And ultimately it's out of my hands. There's nothing left for me to do 
other than pace in the back of the theater or sit, sit on the couch in the lobby. I've at least gotten to that point now where I'm not actively pacing. I can just sit and listen to the show. But I think, yeah, that ability to let go is, is a hard one. And it took me a while to get there myself. And I don't know that I'll ever fully be there. It is hard. I, I usually tell the cast, uh, you know, after the final dress rehearsal, my job is done. It's now, you know, you turn it over to the stage manager. And I was, I was curious yeah. to, to hear, I was going to ask you what you did once it opens, because I too have a tendency to, I, I used to pace. Now I'll, I'll like peek my head in just to watch different parts every night. Um, mm. um, what, what do you do, Kate and Sean, once the show opens? Are you done? Yeah. Or do, you, do you watch? I'm, I mean, I, yeah, I, 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 go ahead, Sean. Oh, no, you go. I'm, I'm interested in what you're saying. Um, I think it depends on the show. I will say that. Um, I know that because uh, when I still sometimes work with like you feeder, mm. there's a little, you know, there's right. a little more hands on, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I know, um, like our Dom, our youth theater director will always be there for every show because it's kids and you don't know. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, but um, I, it depends on the show. Sometimes I am able to sit down and watch opening night and then I'm good. Sometimes I pace, um, but no, I really do feel strongly about turning it over to the stage manager and letting the show grow. And it's, 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 I, I I like to come back later and go, Oh, Oh, I like what they found there. I like how that's, that's kind of growing or that's, you know, um, I mean, I do tell my casts, please don't make any major changes without running them by me. Um, (laughs) don't want any huge surprises, but, um, but yeah, so I guess it, it depends, but I do, I do step back and I don't, I, I don't, don't try to, you know, continually direct as we keep going. And I, I've obviously if I drop in and I see some things that are really wonky, I will still give notes sure. um, or, get, but I'll usually give them through a stage manager. I'll let the stage manager know that something is anyone who's stage manager show for me, TJ Faulkner and Julie Lokahi will tell you they've gotten texts from me in the middle of shows that are like, you need to tell them to da 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 da. Yeah, I have a tendency to keep directing even after the show's open. I try not to, though, but I, I, I just keep on it. I, I, I always think that, you know, the ideal production is here, and we, we kind of approach it tangentially. You've heard this before from me. Um, and and we, we reduce that space between the ideal production and what we're doing. But there's always that little gap that can be filled or fixed or, or explored, mm-hmm. and, I, and I do like that. Um, I, I, when, I, when my office was in the theater, I used to sit in my office and just listen to the production during the run of the show. I just, I couldn't not, I could not not be there, but I didn't want to necessarily take away the authority. Like you said, Brett, about the stage manager, it's their show. They need, mm-hmm. they need to run the show. It, it, and it can't be me looking over their shoulder doing something. I just a little short story. I'd gone to New York to see um, the who's Tommy uh, about six months into the run. And I was, I got you know, one of those cheap seats back in the back. I sat right beside the lighting, the lighting and sound designer, which I found myself watching that as much as I was watching the show, which was also brilliant. And right before the start of the show, Des McEnough came in and sat down right beside me in the empty seat. And uh, there was one uh, performer in the chorus who they would spin twice, she would spin three times. They would kick up to the waist, she would kick up to the neck. Um, and every time it happened, you'd hear him go, oh, Oh my God, Jesus Christ. And I, uh, and I had bought a souvenir booklet and I handed it at intermission. I just said, hey, would you, uh, my wife is a director at the Playhouse. Would you, would you sign this for her? And he said, absolutely. I said, so how often do you come back to see your shows? He said, clearly not often enough. 
So he oh, disappeared at intermission. He didn't come back after intermission. But in the second half of the show, that performer, she was spinning twice and she was kicking to her hip, to her hips and not above. And it was fascinating to me to think that even Broadway directors, well, and we all know the, the story of um, Cameron McIntosh walking into Les Mis, firing a third of the cast, keeping a third of the cast, and permitting a third to re-audition. And, and, I, and I remembered thinking, you know, even Broadway shows still need a little quality control, maybe, might be the best way to describe it. Mm -hmm. So the four of us who direct, and Nicole, you've directed too, so feel free to jump in with- I've directed one staged reading, hey, so that's thank not you nothing. for including uh, me. <laughs> That's not nothing. Thank you. The clean oh. house at Drama Shop. Thank yeah, you very much. it was great, by the way. <laughs> it was um, a great learning experience, for sure. But we all kind of took different routes to getting to, to where we are as directors, and we all do different types of directing. Um, I'm curious what you guys think. Is, is directing something that is, is purely learned? Is it something that some people can do and others can't? If someone wants to direct and hasn't, how can they hone those skills and have some of those? I mean, we named some of the qualities that we think a director needs. Are those things that a person can develop? You know, I'm going to jump in real quickly. Just, just a quick answer. I think, I think the answer basically is yes. However, however, um, you need to, you know, not, you got to know the territory. You got to know the processes, but you also have to know what kind of leadership skills you have, what kind of nation leader you are. I mean, if you are the kind that's going to dictate a production, you just got to be that. Not a lot of people are going to like that. But if, if that is, if you are, if you're that kind of author director, where you are the author of the entire production, and it all has to be your vision, and people have to work within that vision with a certain level of trust with, with the cast and with the designers and with the team, you just have to, you just have to be whatever kind of leader you are. Um, I found my, my biggest challenges is when I would try to imitate other directors and it just wasn't working because I, I wasn't being true to what kind of director I am or the kind of leader that I am. Yeah. I think there is some um, innate ability involved, uh, but I also think it is a craft and there is a technique involved yeah. and you need to learn the craft. Just like a carpenter needs to learn their trade a ballet dancer needs to learn first position, second position, like the, the foundational, the fundamentals, yeah. right? It's the same thing with directing, that there is a craft and a technique and you need to learn that and you need to uh, develop your skills. Yeah, I, I, would, I would echo both of what, what both Brett and Sean said. I mean, I think, yes, I think anybody can learn those skills. I think that some people will find themselves more suited to certain types of productions than others. Um, I, um, but yeah, I think that it's, it, it is really important to understand what you're bringing to the table as a director and where your strengths lie and where your weaknesses lie too, because we all have weaknesses. We are all not good at everything. Yeah. Like it, so it's important to know where that is for you. Mm. Who did you guys learn from? Or, or are there people that directed you in your past and you kind of went, yeah, I like their approach or I, I borrowed this technique from this person? Are there folks that, that you can point to and kind of say, that's who I learned from? Yes. And I'm not I, doing this so we can praise Sean, but. <laughs> no, no, no for, for the love of God, not me. <laughs> I, I've definitely had people throughout. Like I remember the first, the first 
I mean, obviously I, I grew up at the Playhouse. I grew up working with David Matthews, who we all know, we all know David and, um, and you know, and, and Richard and Almy and everyone. Um, but when I went to Interlochen, um, I, we did Oklahoma and there was this director that they brought in from LA named David Rubens. And he was the first person that made me realize like, you don't have to do a show the way that it, they did it on Broadway. So he did this production of Oklahoma and cast um, Rob Rokiki, who actually wrote The Lightning Thief. Rob was a performer. Rob played Judd. Now Rob and Rob is like tall, handsome, you know, good-looking guy, and he cast um, Elizabeth Stanley as Laurie. And this was before Susan Stroman did her thing. And Elizabeth Stanley, she, he did cast Laurie in you know jeans and all that kind of stuff, and she was this tough thing. And then he cast me as Aunt Eller and put me in a red wig and had me have an Irish accent because he had this whole philosophy on how she would, she wouldn't be Southern. She wouldn't be, she would have been an immigrant and she would have been younger. And she, but it was the first time I went, Oh, so you can like do that. You know, you, you don't have to do it. Like it's, that's awesome. Yeah. Which was cool. Um, so he was definitely a big influence on me. And then um, just, all the other directors I've worked through with throughout, you know, um, Richard Hess from the University of Cincinnati, he's the director of drama there. And he was a tremendous influence um, on me just, just as far as how to be kind and open and truthful and present. He's just a super, super great guy. Um, and then just other directors um, that I've worked with. I think, you, I think you can pick up something from everybody, even the directors that you don't necessarily enjoy working with. I think that's important too, because you can, pick up things and go, you know what? I don't, not crazy about that. And then identify why weren't, why weren't you crazy about that? And how can yeah. you, so I think there's something to be learned from everybody. Uh, I was trained at Susquehanna by uh, Doug Powers, who is, is con as guest artist um, as, as both a director and actor to Mercyhurst on several occasions. And it's still um, one of the most amazing directors that I've seen, but like Sean, you know, early on, I, I was just imitating what Doug was doing because I was like, this is how you do it. Um, but I learned from him first and foremost, and all of my grad school professors, um, Judy and Cheryl and Suzanne and Jim. Um, but also, I try to see as much as possible. Um, and I, I would agree with, you know, learning what you, what you don't want to do or what you don't like or what you don't think works. But that's why I try to get to um, theater as much as possible, mm -hmm. uh, both in Erie and regionally and in New York, because every time I go, I learn something. I notice something. Um, I love Hal Prince um, and, and uh, listening to his um, thoughts on, on his process and his thoughts on directing and uh, contemporary directors like David Cromer and uh, Bartlett Schur, and I'm so many, but uh, I feel like I learned something, everything I see, and that's why I try to tell my students too, see as much as possible, read as much as possible, mm -hmm. um, because it makes you a more well, it's, it's all part of your cultural literacy, and it makes you a more well-rounded person, and all of that you can bring to the table as a director. Yeah, I think David Matthews taught me how to cast a show. Uh, Charlie Corator taught me what is funny, uh, ben Agresti taught me how to slice and dice a musical and get everything down to a 90-minute single act. <laughs> um, but really, the person who had the most influence on me was Bill Doan. Um, I was a, a junior in college, and Bill shows up uh, at Gannon, uh, having come from BCU, and I had two years to work with him. And 
he was the one who showed me what a director is, somebody who cares about the text, who cares about the actors, who cares about the design and the, the whole mise-en-scene, the, a single solid production that is unified and collaborative and, uh, and, and straightforward and also very audience, very audience-centered. Uh, he was always concerned about where the audience is and what the audience is doing. And so um, I, I, I was a dome clone. I followed him. I, I went in his path to VCU. I came back to teach at Gannon. Uh, and I worked with him. I had the pleasure of working with him for another 10 years before he left the university. So um, I, I, I feel that, but I, I agree with, with, with you. I mean, you, you. You find the person who inspires you and you learn something from everybody, including some of the negative stuff. And even some of the negative stuff I've learned from myself. Uh, trying new oh, things, yeah. trying, yeah, my gosh. Yeah, my, my list of failures are all wonderful. And uh, <laughs> actually, and, and just, and, and, I, and I, I wouldn't trade a single one of them because they all help bring me, to a new, a new understanding, you know, I, I, I sometimes wish I could play, hit re rewind on a couple of productions, but, but to be honest, I, they wouldn't, I wouldn't be the person I am now in terms of my, my own processes and my own development. Yeah. And I will claim that I am a, a second generation, which did you say a Doan clone? I really like that. I'm going to say I'm second generation uh, because I, I did learn frankly, a lot from Sean as a student at Gannon. Um, when I was a student, the, the three faculty and staff who did most of the directing were Sean Clerken, Paula Barrett, and Ed Helensky. And Ed was the TD, Paula focused on acting, and Sean taught the directing course. And I got from the three of them, three very different approaches to directing. And Kate, uh, you're nodding, you were there at the same time. Okay. And so I think uh, you know, from the three of them, I, I certainly, you know, you find the things that work or that you like or that you respond to and you, you kind of borrow those. Um, I spent my summers in college going home to, to Greensburg and Delmont and Apple Hill Playhouse. And I got to thank Tina Lapidi Stewart for teaching me the comedy of threes. Um, I don't know how I made it to college without knowing that, but it was like, once you realize that, it just opens so many doors. Like, are you kidding? You just have to do it one more time and it's funny. Who knew? Uh, but yes, yeah, so many directors in, in community theater um, at home before I even moved to Erie and then everyone that I had the pleasure of working with at the Playhouse. And then I will say too, um, you know, I, I learn a lot from Elena Manchester who, um, you know, is, is now at Gannon and is also on Drama Shop's creative team. Um, we were students together, but I, I learned so much from her now, watching her direct, watching her create devised pieces, um, and just the, the enthusiasm that she has for the work she does. To me, that's something that if I can have a fraction of that enthusiasm throughout the rehearsal process, then hopefully I'm, I'm going to guide the cast someplace good. Yeah. That's great. And Sean, you brought this one up and this is the next direction that we wanted to head with this was talking a little bit about casting. Um, and because it's easy if you've never been on that side of the table before, it's easy to assume that a director might play favorites or might think that it's a simpler process than it is. So I want to talk about what factors go into casting a show. Uh, is it what happens in, in an audition, uh, being prepared? Is it who you know? What's, how do you approach casting? I always start with prayer. <laughs> That's Just hoping that people, solid hoping start. that the right people show up for the right roles. I mean, you choose a play, you choose a musical. It has, it, it has some necessary things built into the character. 
factors built into the relationships and you just hope that the right people or, or multiple versions of those right mm -hmm. people show up for the audition so you can have a choice and build mm -hmm. a cast but but sometimes you just you, you don't always have that luxury in in civic theater or in university academic theater you you just you you, you kind of get what you get and then you go from there and try to build from there but I um, when it comes to casting yeah you, you, you again you have to know the play and you have to visualize the play and then you have to spend time with it I, I know after the first round of auditions and I always say this to actors too is that after the first night I have an idea in my head of what might be happening and whether I want to be prejudiced or not on the next night you got to be better than the first night people that it might be already in my head in order to displace them I always say go to the opening night of rehearsals I don't know this is yeah I need to jump in the there house waiting to the second night or third night of auditions and it's like no go early so, mm -hmm. so that I so I get a good night's sleep without Ajita that would be nice just show up at the first round of auditions I'll be honest we've started having just one night of auditions at drama shop and it was because so many folks were waiting to the second night and it I agree with you Sean when we had two nights of auditions and sometimes we still do that first night I'm gonna walk out of there with a cast list in my head like I, it, it's human nature and I wouldn't be doing my job as a director if I didn't so please 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 if you're listening to this and, and you are or else you're not hearing me say this um, come to the first night of auditions just do it it'll be okay <laughs> sorry I had to get on my soapbox I'm done <laughs> No, Kate, Brett, anything to add for those for casting? I'm sorry. I would I'm say eating jelly beans. No, that, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm like 20 weeks pregnant and jelly beans are just it right now. So that's just full disclosure. <laughs> um, that's my wine. <laughs> for me, it, it starts even before I cast the show because uh, we, in academic theater, I want to make sure that I'm providing uh, a variety of opportunities for our students. So I'm choosing... Uh, you know, both classic and contemporary works, plays and musicals and a, a variety of styles from important playwrights, right? But I'm choosing material knowing that I can cast it. Mm -hmm. I never pre-cast because uh, I, I don't like that. And I think there's a difference. Mm -hmm. You know, can I realistically cast this play with a group of students who are currently enrolled mm -hmm. uh, at Mercyhurst or students who might I, I don't know that might show up, right? Um, and then... Uh, so that's where I start, you know, and there's a degree of, for the students who have chosen to pursue the discipline of, you know, paying your dues and working your way up the ladder. And I want to make sure that people have a chance to be third spear carrier from the left and supporting roles and, and leading roles. And, um, and I think that echoes our ensemble approach modeled on the Moscow Art Theater, that you are a part of this ensemble. And mm -hmm. that translates to everything we do, including the bows. We don't do, I had more lines, I come out last. We do an ensemble bow, that's it, you know. Um, same. But it, but Drama it, Shop does the same, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I love it, you know, and I, I think it, um, and it's not always appropriate, but that's what we've chosen to do. Um, but it's, as far as the actual, audition process, I just try to demystify it as much as possible for the students and say that, like Sean was saying, we want the right people to show up. We want you to succeed. We want you to be the answer to this problem. And also letting them know that we are casting an entire show, not any individual role. So sometimes right. there's a domino effect. If I put That's this big. person yep. here, yeah. then this affects this and this and this and this. So yeah, if a different group of people had shown up maybe you would have fit into this role. Yep. Mm -hmm. With the group of people in the room, this is where you fit. Absolutely. I think that's something, as an actor too, I mean, that really 
benefits you so much to know and to hear right. that that i mean i remember growing up and doing um shows at a school called spotlight performing arts in pittsburgh and just having to come to that realization and really feeling that that was a maturity level that you're reaching when you find out that you know what i didn't get this part but there are how many different casts that could have been it's not just one person one part that puzzle piece can't that puzzle can't be completed just right. because you might be great in that role your director's role is so much wider and so much broader than that filling that in so i know as an actor like once you realize that it's like it's, there's a comfort there <laughs> there's yeah. also a sense of helplessness there too i mean truthfully just knowing that i could have done everything right and it it wouldn't you know change that that outcome but I think that's all that's all part of it knowing that that's that's really just true. Yeah, because I think so much of it comes down to two like the, the like we're talking about like the chemistry and the makeup of what the mm -hmm. cast is going to be. And then I think when we're coming from a community standpoint as well, sometimes you know the relationships that people have outside of the theater and sometimes that can come into play too when you're sure. like, "Oh, well, I don't, you know, I've worked with these two before. They don't really work well together. So, but I need to, you know, like for me, honestly, I sometimes, um, I, I, I like to work with nice people. <laughs> I like yeah. to work with That's really fair. kind. Yeah. I like, I like my casts to be happy. I like my casts to be kind. I like my casts to be supportive. Um, and I don't like, I, I like to make art. I don't like to make egos. So, um, I, will sometimes, sometimes that does come into play. Um, yeah, I would add to that. I think this is kind of what you're saying is, is work ethic is really important. Mm -hmm. And Absolutely. so, you know, yes, we're going to make decisions based on what happens on the day in the audition room, but we're not going to discount prior experience with individuals. We're not going to discount the person who shows up and works hard no matter what role they're in Absolutely. or when they don't get cast, but they mm -hmm. still say, okay, mm -hmm. cool. What can I do instead? So, you know, I, I think that's been key for building a community at drama shop is recognizing those people who do, you know what, if you show up every time we need help painting a set and then you come in and audition for a show, we're going to try to find a spot for you. We really yeah. are because that's part of our mission as well. It's not just about making sure we put on the best show as possible, the audience we serve or the, the community we serve is not just the audience that sits in the house, right? The community we serve are the people who participate in the productions, who do the work that we're doing. So right. if you're a part of that community, if you make it known that you're going to work hard, then when the right chance, the right role in the right show comes along, it's yours. Right. Yeah. Because, and it's yeah. also about giving people the chance to, to get out of their comfort zone and try mm -hmm. new things too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know? it's, I'm, I'm so glad you said that about, I want to work with nice people. Are, is this a group that, are these people that you want to spend the next two, three, four, five, six weeks with? Yeah. And I don't know if my students are listening to this, but they are. <laughs> I, they should make note make of that. <laughs> because, you know, I say it, but I think it's good for them to hear other people say it as well. Because your behavior is going to have an impact on, and, and we, I hear it from my friends who are working professionally in the industry, that if you have a bad mm -hmm. attitude, you're difficult to work with, it is a very small community, and that will get around quickly, and you won't work again. And conversely, if you have a great attitude, but your audition, maybe you get a little bit, of, a little case of nerves, and your audition is not flawless, right. I am much more willing to look past that yeah. because right. you're a person that I would enjoy working with. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. 
Well, and I think the other, the other element in academic theater is that again, like Sean said earlier, these students are paying tuition and that we need to make sure that they get the experience. And that starts with choosing the material, but also making sure that they have those opportunities. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I also want to just remind all actors everywhere that when a director puts a cast list up, it is not a referendum on their talent, ability, no. and personhood. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it not. honestly is not personal. It's never personal. It's always about the, I like what you said, Brett, about the combination of roles within a show and, and, and that Roberta Stoughton always used to say, look, if I ask you to be a tree or a rock, it's because this production needs you to be the best tree or rock you could possibly be. Now, and I've played trees and rocks in my life. The, the, but the reality is that it's not personal. It's never personal. No. It's always about, I, I'm, we as a, we as a, as a community of artists who try to produce the best we can under whatever circumstances we find ourselves. And it's never personal. It's just not personal casting. And nor should ever anybody say, oh, I didn't get my role on this show, so I'm not gonna ever audition again. That doesn't do us any good at all, or themselves either for the opportunity. No. Mm -hmm. Well, and also it's hard too when somebody comes in and says they'll only play a certain thing. I was just and, gonna ask that. And, and you're like, Oh, and I mean, I've been in a position for where I've had people put that on audition form, but I'm like, but I really, really want you to play this role and you would be really great. And I'll, I've called them or emailed and said, hey, I know you said you would only do this, but I really see you in this. This is a great role. Would you be willing to do it? Because I, I, it's, I don't know, sometimes I think we shoot ourselves in the foot because we see ourselves before as a performer, you see yourself in a certain way. You know, like I never saw myself as Aunt Eller when I was 17 years old, but, but I was the Aunt Eller that that director wanted. Yeah, I no. walked into auditions for Will Rogers Follies, and I, I thought I would have been the best Will Rogers ever. I'm a funny guy. <laughs> but Jason Lowergan came in and played his guitar and charmed the hell out of everyone in the room. And Richard Davis turns around and casts me as in the quartet and in the dancing, the dancing chorus of Will Rogers Follies. A Tommy Tune show, and I'm like, are this? I never worked so hard in my life. I've said to people all the time, one of the reasons I like feature roles and character roles is because I'm not good enough to be in the chorus. I just don't have the talent or the or the ability or the time or, or the gams, quite honestly, to do that. <laughs> oh, you're selling yourself short. <laughs> all right, personal directing question: What frustrates you the most about directing? Hmm, I know. We're getting, we said no gotcha questions, but these are the hard hitting ones. What? What frustrates me most is um, when, when somebody says, I can't, you know, I, I, whether, whether a designer or a, or a technician or a performer, and you bring something, a challenge to the table or to the rehearsal, and somebody says, oh, I can't do that. And I, 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 like, I like that sense of exploration. I like that sense of experimentation. Um, and so when somebody says, oh, I can't do that because it's, it's not something I believe is in my wheelhouse or it's something that goes against everything I know about theater, that, that can be sometimes frustrating. Sure. Uh, go ahead, Brett. Uh, no, go ahead. Oh, no, no, you go. <laughs> this makes it's for great wheel. podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll go. Um, for me, uh, laziness. I don't, you know, discount, discounting the attitude issue that we've already discussed. And thankfully, I've had very few of those issues. And it really hasn't been an issue uh, for me at Mercyhurst at all. And even in grad school or before then, you know, so I, I feel very fortunate in that respect. 
but uh, laziness, I don't deal well with in or outside of the theater with uh, laziness. I want to work with people who are prepared and who are willing to work hard and bring things to the table and make choices. Because the few experiences I've had where that hasn't happened, it's exhausting. And I've said to the cast, if I wanted to dictate everything that you did, I would have a puppet theater because I could do that. Ooh, I'm going to steal that. I really I like, I like that. that. I like that. That's, <laughs> I, that's don't, really good. I, I don't want to dictate your choices. Yeah. I want to help you craft them. Yes. Um, and I, 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 those, those instances where either out of laziness or lack of preparation or whatever, where that doesn't happen, it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that- And I think disrespectful because you have committed, you have committed to this production. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I know at least in academic theater, you're balancing uh, coursework and sometimes you're an RA or you have a work study position and you have other responsibilities. This is not your life, I know that. But you have agreed that for the next however many weeks that this is a commitment. Mm-hmm. And, um, but like I said, uh, those, those, um, that's happened very infrequently for me, but when it does, it's, it's, I don't enjoy that. <laughs> yeah. I think what I piggybacking what you're saying, Brett, um, when, when actors wait to give a performance until they have an audience, <laughs> it drives me crazy. And it happens. We're saving it. I, it happens. I mean, it, I think it happens a lot. That's not acting. That's performing. <laughs> right. And I think it happens a lot. I see it happen a lot with younger actors, but it still does happen with other people. With it sometimes happens again, and it drives me insane. And you spend it's like banging your head against a wall because, you know, they're you're not seeing anything in rehearsal, so you can't then help them craft a performance. And then opening night, all of a sudden, everything you've been saying for the past five weeks shows up on stage, and you're like. <laughs> Where right. was this? Right. Where if was we're, this? If we're going to be of any use to you as a director, then we need to see what it's going to look like or else exactly like you said, Kate, we can't help you get, you know, where we want you to go or where you want to go if we're not seeing you give that a shot. Right. Yeah. yeah. I would say, and, and I would kind of sum all of those up and say the thing that drives me crazy is ego. And, you know, you've got to humble yourself. I, I will humble myself as a director. I will admit when I don't know. I will follow the advice that that Sean shared when we recorded another episode. Uh, who who was it? The the uh, you better have an answer by the time you get to the stage. Anne Bogart. Anne yeah. Bogart. That's uh, right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. As a director, you yeah. yeah, you've got to have an answer by the time you get to the stage. And so I don't always have those answers, and I'm willing to admit that as a director. And I need actors who are going to come in with that same lack of yeah. ego and that same willingness to mm. say. I don't know. Can, can you help me get where I need to go? Cause yeah. if you come in and you don't want to do the work and you're, you're, whether it's laziness or you're busy and you shouldn't have taken on the commitment, whatever it is, if you're not there to work, then this thing's not going to get off the ground. And that's not fair to the director. And it's not fair to anyone else in the company. Yeah. Like when it's you have not an fair act- to the audience. But like when you'll have an actor that'll say like, well, you know me, I got this. I'll be fine. And it's like, but yeah, yeah. I, you, that actor you just described ends up on that list of people I don't want to cast. Yeah, because if you, if you think you don't, it, the rehearsal is not just about you. It's about right. the entire company. Yeah. It's about the entire the, 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 the ensemble cast as well as the director and the production team. It's not just about 
you being able to get it. So I think mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's that, that thing of like putting your own individual performance ahead of the company as a whole. But yeah. Well, and that's, that's, that. that's problematic for a number of reasons because, you know, rehearsal is a time of experimentation and risk taking and you want to try. Mm-hmm. That's why I love the process of rehearsal because mm-hmm. let's try this, this beat. Let's try this moment different ways and, and see what feels best and what looks best and what enhances the storytelling values and makes sense in terms of the characters and their motivations. And you can't do that if someone's just phoning it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If you could change something about the way that we do theater, whether that's locally, nationally, whatever that is, if you could change one aspect of it, what do you think that you would change? I'll start off if that's okay. Please. Yeah. I, I wish that locally we had a pool of artists that was more reflective of the community in which we live. Um, a more diverse pool of performers. I know it's something that we all as directors and producers want in our companies, but just wanting it doesn't make it happen. And I don't think any of us have quite unlocked the answer to that yet. Uh, I know we try to pick shows at Drama Shop where it doesn't matter who plays the part, you know? And so I wish we could get to that point where we had that that more diverse pool of talent because you know people of all different backgrounds and experience levels and 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 different life stories they're out there in our community and could contribute so much to our productions if we could just find the way to unlock that and and i don't think we've found it yet yeah yeah anybody else yeah no, I, that's a I, I wish one. we had. A, I wish we had an audience. Yeah, an audience that was willing to see anything and everything. I mean, just yeah. just willing to not just go see the things that they already know they like. I mean, just that were that would be that would be courageous enough and supportive enough of the actors and the directors and the and the teams that that they would go see whatever is on that stage. And I, I, it doesn't matter where we are and where we're performing. There's nothing more frustrating than, than having this wonderful exploration and this bold production. And then you see small numbers of people coming to see it. That's that are relatively small, or at least, at least enough to pay for the production. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. that, that's all I would like. Um, and, uh, and and I and I wish they weren't all about you know musicals and comedies. I, I wish they would be bold enough to see some of the other innovative and important work. Sure. Yeah. Well, switch. Sorry. No, I was just going to say I agree wholeheartedly, and it's interesting to hear you say that because sometimes I wonder: is it just me at Merce North? Is, is, no. is, no. is, is no. this unique to us? Because it breaks my heart when the students are they're consistently doing good work and Mm -hmm. I have incredibly high standards and they rise to the challenge time and time again. And if we're doing a musical or or a populist uh, piece, a familiar title, we can sell tickets, we can pack the house, but we shouldn't be restricted to that, especially in academic theater. Mm -hmm. And so I I wonder, you know, um, I, I wish, the same thing. And I also wish there was more um, support at the local and the state and the national level for the arts. Something I've been thinking Mm -hmm. about. Uh, Because what what are people doing 
during quarantine. They're watching mm -hmm. movies and reading books and viewing streaming productions of theatrical performances. It's lifting their spirits and helping them feel less alone. At least it has me. And yeah. we're turning to the arts during this tumultuous period in our history. And I'm wondering what it's going to look like on the other side of it. If there will be a new recognition of the value of all of the arts, but we're talking specifically about the performing arts in our community. Mm -hmm. And you're right. We are going to turn right back to them once this is over or once we're able to as well. I know how eager we all are to gather in our communities, in our theaters and and to do the thing that we love to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, to keep moving towards that, that kind of positive note, what's something that as a director you're really proud of, whether it's a production in mind or an accomplishment, some other experience, something that you can look back on and say like, this is something that I would be remembered for. I think if I could be remembered for something, I would want it to be building a community. I don't think I would want to be remembered for, oh my gosh, Kate directed this show and it was really great. I don't want that. I would want, or, or if, if I can make, if I can cha help change somebody, one person's mind or help change one person's perspective or help one person find themselves or help someone have some small modicum of improvement in their life because of something that I was able to give them through, um, being a director or through a show that I did or through if, if, if I was going to change one person's life with art, that's, that's enough. I was going to say, you know, my, my years as a director are, I, I have fewer years ahead of me than I have behind me as a director. And, so, and I'm really okay with that. Um, but when I honestly, when I look at the screen and I see three faces of people whose lives uh, intertwined with mine and and, and Brent, I'll include you too because I think your work the, the stuff that I've been able to see unfortunately academic schedules throw us all in productions the same time but uh, theater I, I'm schedules so in general work, in general <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love the work you're doing at Mercyhurst I think it's visionary I think it's exemplary I think it's quality work and and I wished I had more time to see it actually but but when I when I look at the faces here I think you know the we are one another's legacies the, the fact that we have each had a positive uh, influence or, or a, an opportunity influence on each other has been just, that, that's, that's the one thing that I treasure. I mean, I, 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 I used to think about, you know, someday I'll be a big time director on the Broadway and, and have that show that Hal Prince comes up and shakes my hand. And, uh, and then I woke up one day and went, no, that's, that is really not going to happen. And more importantly, that, that diminishes the good work that we are having. Our legacy is our, is our collaborative work with one another. And I'm very happy with the collaborative work that, that I have in my, in my background. Absolutely, and that's so nice of you to say, I appreciate it. I'm thinking of what, um, what Sondheim says in Sunday in the Park with George, what do we leave behind? Children and art, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't, I don't have children, but, um, and I don't plan to, but I'm hoping, I hope, that I can have some kind of positive impact on my students who will then share that knowledge and that passion with mm. their families and friends and students. And um, so that, like you were saying, we can continue that legacy. I'm glad that you three gave those kind of answers because I'm also, I'm not one to get overly <laughs> sentimental about shows that I work on. I'm always looking ahead to whatever the next show is. So oh, yeah. I thought, always. well, we're going to name specific shows and then I was going to have to, you know, 
try to scramble or be like, well, no, here's what I believe. But no, I, I will say, I think the thing that I'm, I'm really proud of is exactly the word that Kate used, community. I'm really proud of the community that we've built at Drama Shop that is, is not in opposition to the community that Kate has at the Playhouse or Sean has at Gannon or Brett has at Mercyhurst. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's another little circle of that community. And I'm proud that, you know, that we've created that community for people. I mean, I know growing up for me, theater was where I felt normal when I didn't feel normal in other places. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. that if, if any of us are creating that place for someone else, Kate, I think of the, the kids in the youth theater program, man, I wish there was a youth theater program like that where I grew up because I can't imagine what that does for a child who, who doesn't fit in in gym class or yeah. you know wherever, but but has that passion and has a place to to feel at home. And and if I can be a part of that, then you know I will I will have accomplished something worthwhile. And I got a I got a shout out to Zach too on his birthday. He he first of all said if you if you want to give money to the to drama shop, that's fine. We appreciate that. But you followed it up, and I loved this. You said, but our friends at the Erie Playhouse. They're the ones that needs our support, all of our support right now. And he said they are, you called them the, the foundation of community theater in Erie. And I just, and I thought, you know, that's the kind of thing that I love about our community. We yeah. are just, we're, we're incestuous and we can't help it. We just, we just, we absolutely need and respect one another. But I, I got to say, when I read that, I teared up. I was really, I was so, so impressed and proud of that. Well, thank you. And I mean, I'll, I'll say, you know, just from a practical standpoint, it's going to be a lot. I don't want to say this the wrong way and give the wrong impression. So forgive me if it comes out ineloquently, but it's going to be a lot easier for Drama Shop to weather this storm than it is for the Playhouse. And you absolutely will weather this storm, I have no doubt. But none of us are, are depending on Drama Shop for our livelihood. And so if we can do anything right now, to support the folks at the Playhouse who, you know, it is their livelihood and, and we need to make sure that they're provided for during this difficult time. So, I mean, that's, that's all that was for me. Well, I mean, I, I thank you. And, um, you know, and I've, we've talked before and I've, I've thanked you privately and for all of your support through everything. Um, it's, it's been, this has been a really, I mean, it's a hard time for all of us. Um, but it, it's been a hard time because I personally, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not worried about me. I'm worried about our staff. I'm worried about our volunteers. I'm worried about the community that we've created. Um, but it's been so incredible to see the support that everybody's had. So, you know, Thank you guys. It's, well, and Kate, let me take the opportunity to say this because I think maybe you don't, you won't. <laughs> Folks <laughs> listening to this, if you have not given to the Erie Playhouse Relief Fund, it's on GoFundMe. Please seek it out and please make that donation. Um, anything you can do to, to help those folks weather the storm, I think is, is much appreciated. Not just by Kate and the staff there, but by all of us, because you're helping to keep the Erie Theater community alive and vibrant. And, and we're going to come back stronger than ever, I have no mm -hmm. doubt. Yep. Thank well, you. Well, your 
you are all incredibly inspiring people. First off, just to, <laughs> to add to that, I want to talk a little bit um, just before we wrap up about if there's, we talked kind of about your director, who you learned from, but if there's anyone else that you kind of want to talk about who either inspires you artistically or, or helps adding to your process. Before I do that really quick, I want to once again, thank everybody who's still with us on Facebook Live too. Got a lot of comments going on on Facebook Live. If you have any questions that you, yeah, hello everybody. Um, <laughs> if you have any questions that you want to ask our panelists though, now's the time. Make sure you get those in the comments or else we're just going to make some up or <laughs> do whatever we want. But, um, but we appreciate the comments. We appreciate everybody watching. Thank you so much. Um, so get those in now before we, we kind of wrap up and we'll ask a couple of those. Um, but as we're doing that, um, I want to go around the horn again one more time and just say who or what would you want to uh, say is someone that inspires you artistically and whoever wants to start. I'm going to jump in and say, I, I have to say, Hey, um, my wife, uh, I, and any, all, all of the directors who've worked with me as an actor, I am, I'm not an easy actor to work with. I, 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 I like to experiment. I don't take blind readings very well. I, I like to explore. I, uh, and, uh, and sometimes I, I, I can be a little, mm, a little, little sassy maybe in rehearsal. Um, but Elmi actually, is a, she's been a great director for me too. She holds me accountable. She's like you, Brett. She has a very high standard, uh, and, and, and I got to live up to those. And so I, I want to thank her for, for her inspiration and, and opportunities. And, uh, she's somebody I don't get an offer, uh, opportunity to say that about. So that's mine. And not just cause she's in the next room. <laughs> That's very sweet. Um, I would say uh, my students inspire me. I wear a lot of hats at Mercy Hurst as the director of the theater program, and now I'm facilitating the pro uh, programming for the Institute for Arts and Culture. So it's a lot of very long days, but it rarely if ever feels like work because mm. the students make me want to get up in the morning. They make my job a joy. They come to class prepared, they come to rehearsal eager to learn, uh, and I feed off that energy and enthusiasm and just love being around them. So they inspire me. They make me want to do better work. Yeah, I mean, at the risk of sounding like a copycat, uh, <laughs> I would say, yeah, I, I'm, in, I'm inspired by the, the, the community that we work with. I'm inspired by the, the, the people who go to work from you know, nine to five who wake up, you know, at 7am to get themselves ready to get their kids off to school, then go work a full time job, then come home, slap some food in their face, get their kids set and then come and rehearse for three hours and work their butts off and are just there because they, they love theater, they love doing things. That's, that's so inspiring to me. Um, and I just, so I always want to do better and be better for them. Yeah. Yeah. You I'll, know? I'll kind of steal that answer too. Um, but specifically say that it's, you know, my colleagues at drama shop really inspire me, um, as an all volunteer organization, folks who are there, you know, for the love of the game. Um, you know, my wife has been very transparent about her, her medical issues. Um, she had emergency surgery this year, the night before our season opened. And our season opens with a reception and a big event. And, and I wasn't there for final dress and I wasn't there for opening night. And uh, the, the folks who stepped in and, and took over and took the reins and, and Sean gave the, the curtain speech that night and kind of secretly recorded it 
and sent it to me and and I watched it in the hospital and teared up and and I'm so grateful for the folks who who have my back you know and and I have their back too and I think they know that and I think that's why they have my back so so the people who inspire me are the people who are there in the trenches with all of us doing the work with us and doing it because they love doing what we do Those are all so great answers. I love that. Thank you, guys. We do have a question from the Facebook comments uh, from Austin. Uh, The directors talked about having an image when reading new or revisited material, but how would each of the directors go about taking that image or concept and making it possible for their respective venues to bring it to life? Each director has done incredible work doing that, so I'm interested in the process. You, you assemble a damn good uh, crew, actually. I mean, you, 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 you work with designers you trust. You work with actors who are willing to, to make the connection and go with you. I, I, just, I, I think it's so important that there's a level of trust um, from the very beginning. Um, and I also think that it's re- important to remember, too, is that, is that at any moment in time, somebody can have an aha that will take it in a new direction. You, you have to be willing to adapt and adopt something new with and you don't necessarily abandon your vision um but you might be surprised by something that an actor discovers in a in a, in a rehearsal or yeah. or that a, a lighting designer the second the second um uh, dress rehearsal says hey i thought i would try something new with that particular scene and you go wow that's exactly exactly what i had hoped for i had a chance to work with katherine norgren who is a designer costume designer from um, ub and she came in uh, for a production of um, the measure for measure that i had directed and she was looking at one of the characters she said i don't like that suit and i said yeah i don't like that suit either and the next night i came in she had changed the suit but then she changed the suits of everybody else in the scene and i said I, I was fine with it. She said, "No, it wasn't right, and you knew it wasn't right, and and it didn't meet the it didn't meet the vision." And I said, "But you didn't have to do that." And she said, "Yes, I did. I absolutely did." You know, and so that that ability to work with a group of people, actors, designers, technicians, who are willing to go with you, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I, I would that. agree with you. That's kind of like the 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 key thing of you know identifying what your thesis is and then. I, but, and, and getting the trust of the people. And it's not just about them walking in and blindly trusting you. You right. have to earn that trust yeah. too. Um, you know, but yeah, we just, just working to make sure everybody's on the same page and understands the, the, the journey that we're taking together mm. is, is important. I think. Yeah. That's great. I'll else? add to that. Yeah. Uh, so often for me, the first step is knowing that we're we're looking at something for drama shop. Okay, that means we've got a 22 foot wide stage with no wing space. That means the audience is eight feet away from the front of the stage. That means there's one or two entrance points for the cast, depending on on what the set ends up being. So for me, and again, it goes back to being a director designer. Step one is so often how do I fit this show into our space? You know, like, like when we decided, okay, we're gonna do the humans. That means we've got to figure out how to put a two story set into a, a one and a half story tall theater. So, you know, for me, so much of it starts with that ground plan and mm-hmm. how do we realize this show in that space? Yeah. I'm glad you said that. I think that's so important because um, I've been working in Taylor Little Theater now for seven years and it's a great little space, but it does have its limitations. Yeah. Uh, but instead of viewing those as challenges, they're opportunities. How can we use the space effectively to tell this story 
Um, and I really look forward to that. And I've been fortunate to work with designers who embrace and are up to that challenge as well. And I have to say, having been directing in our theater now for, I think we've been in that space for seven years now, I look at Kate's space and the thought of directing a show on that stage kind of terrifies me <laughs> because I'm so used to what I do in our intimate little theater that if I have to think about what does this look like when you're in the last row of the loge, you know, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm equipped for that. <laughs> You yeah. are. Yeah. <laughs> well, it scares me nonetheless. <laughs> I have to say that about Brett, too. I, I mean, I think that, I, I, again, I apologize, but the, I, I, saw, I think the last thing I really saw was Drowsy Chaperone. And I swear to God, you must have put an addition on the back of that theater for everything <laughs> you had on that stage. I could not believe how excellently and efficiently you used that space. It was just, it was, it was, it was a perfect production of that musical. Oh my gosh, thank you. That was great. It's, it's exciting. So I mean, you know, you asked earlier, and I'm so loath to identify favorite shows, but memorable productions are those in which we were able to use the space in a different way. Like when we, yeah. did, when we did Cabaret, we filtered the audience through the back hallway and created an immersive experience on stage that was completely self-contained. So they walked into the bar and then eventually into the Kit Kat Club and we built a thrust stage on the stage and had the cabaret tables. And Like when we did Doña Rosita, we did it in an arena configuration with the audience on four sides. But I think that taps into one of the very first things we all said, which is that you have to be a storyteller and you have to be a visionary. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it could, you could very easily fall into this trap of, well, this is how the space functions. This is how we do it. You know, yeah. Yeah. that's no fun. You don't grow unless you challenge yourself. Yeah. And I think that gets boring for the audience. You know, <laughs> like we lucked out when we were rebuilding our stage. It happened to be during uh, when we were doing Annie Washburn's uh, Mr. Burns, a post-electric play. And Michael Haas was directing it and we talked through the design and decided, let's make each of the acts a different configuration. So act one was in the round around a campfire where our stage normally would be, but it had been torn out. Um, act two, we had everybody shuffle out to the lobby and we reconfigured into an alley setup in that same space. And then in act three, they sat in the audience, the, the fixed audience seating and act three was done as a proscenium show. So, you know, it was this happy little, you know, necessity is the mother of all invention kind of situation of either we go dark while we're while we're in the middle of this project or we find a way to use the space differently and and to be innovative and come up with something else so and that's more fun i think anyway as a yes. director so. yeah it's i think it's so it's it's great to be able to to look at a piece and decide like what does this mean for me and not follow like i really try to when i'm directing something i i really try to distance myself from any other productions of it because I mm. don't want some, I'm, I'm, I don't want someone else's creative vision to influence mine. Um, you know, I, I think it's, you know, we talk about our, you know, intellectual property and I mean, artistic property is a really big thing. And I, you know, I don't, I don't want, I don't want somebody else to take someone else's ideas. I want to, I think it's, it's so cool to be able to, to find your own and find your own truths within a piece that maybe somebody else didn't find. You know, and I, you know, just because someone is a Broadway director or someone has all this stuff doesn't mean that they sifted through and found every single bit of stuff, or maybe there's a different way of looking at it. And that's, yeah. you know, that's cool. 
I love that. That's great. Well, I think that that's a great place to wrap up our conversation. And I really want to thank all of our panelists, Kate Newbert Lechner, Dr. Brett Johnson, and Reverend Sean Clerkin, and of course, Zach Flock for joining us tonight. Thank you guys so much. Your time thank is so you. appreciated. Thank you. We, thank you. This was really great. happy we could do this. And this I would awesome. especially, again, just like to thank all of you for the work that you do as, as leaders in our theater community. As we talked about, this is definitely a challenging time for all of us. Mm -hmm. um, and I really want to say thank you to all of you for not only the work that you did before and that you're doing now, but the work that I know you're all going to do once we get through this and we come out even stronger. So thank you. And thank you. Listen, uh, go, go find your recording of um, Big River and listen to um, Waiting for the Light to shine that's the that's the song that I just keeps coming it. through my mind right yes. now and yes. we're just waiting for the light <laughs> to shine and it's gonna shine it's i'm always shine. looking for opening and closing music for uh these podcasts although i don't know if we can uh, get the rights for that one, <laughs> Pull that one out. less than yeah. 30 seconds of it we're yeah. good yeah, yeah yeah but but yes when when all of our theaters and all of the other theaters not represented here today because there are more even even here in erie too are back in action we will all be there to support one another absolutely absolutely, absolutely. And that is what it's going to do it for this episode. Thank you again to our panelists. For those of you watching live on Facebook, thank you so much. I mean, they've all been really active. I'm excited for you guys to go in and, and read some of the comments. We didn't get a lot of questions, but uh, between Austin, thank you so much. Zach, Megan Longo is in there too. Dan, Megan. Uh, Julie, uh, Jenna Yates is here. Brittany, Jenna Selecki, Kathleen. Uh, Emily Cassano, Elena yeah. Manchester was here. My brother, Jason, thank you so much, everybody. <laughs> Jason DeHoda in the house. <laughs> Jason DeHoda. Um, thank you so much. I mean, you guys coming and listening and seeing the show and participating, this is all part of actively participating in theater, and, and we really appreciate all of you. Thank you so much, too. Um, so a pro quick programming note, too, before we uh, close it off, we have three a special three-part episode coming out next for Shop Talk. It is called Much Ado About Shakespeare, and it features... Zach and Jessica Flock, Elena Manchester, and Sean Clerkin discussing their experiences with the works of William Shakespeare uh, and the lasting impact of history's greatest playwright. Those episodes will be out very soon. And you can be sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or search Drama Shop, and you will find us there at the top. Uh, you can find our complete library of episodes. Shop Talk is the official Drama Shop podcast. It is produced by me, Nicole Lossie, and is sponsored by Gannon University Schuster Theater. And as always, thank you for supporting Drama Shop Theater in process.